right, you can hear my voice. Please come to the front. I'm going to ask everybody to be here. Welcome to Metro Praise. My name is Salvador Castellanos. I'm a deacon in this church. Uh, this is my wife, Jessica. She also is a deacon. A deacon. I just want to testify of the goodness of the Lord. I want to testify about uh, how when he has a plan for you, sometimes it seems that it will take long, right? Sometimes uh, we get impatient. Sometimes we think that he's not listening to us. Or we try to do things our way because sometimes we, we, we have that, that tendency to think that he's taking too long. So we just want to testify about this baby right now. We went through so much. Uh, three years ago, we had our first baby, uh, Hezekiah. He was uh, born premature. He died. He passed away. Uh, that's, that's the beginning. And then we got pregnant again. And then again. But today we have this beautiful baby here by the grace of God. And um, we just want to testify about his goodness because if he promised something in your life, he's going to do it. So we just have to be patient and, and we, we, we need to learn how to wait on him. All right. I hope this uh, encourages somebody. If God has a call in your life, if God has a promise for you, he's going he's gonna to do it. All right. I want to read this scripture for you. It's uh, Psalms 33, 20. We wake in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. And him, and him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May you unfold in, um, in failing love be with us, even as we put our hope in you. Amen. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for every person in this room, oh God. Pray that, that we know that you have a plan for each person, Lord, a plan to prosper them, oh God. We thank you, Lord, for everything you have done for every person in this room, oh God. We thank you. We ask that you fell in love with be with them, oh Lord, that you will fill their hearts with your love, my King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, good morning. Just, just, just praise him right now with me. Come on, could you lift your hands this morning to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords, Jesus. We praise you this morning, God. Oh, Lord, as we sing these songs, God, as we prepare our hearts this morning, just to give you praise, God, we just pray, God, you take us deeper and closer to your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you be in control of this time? Oh, God, fill our hearts with your love. Come on. Fill our hearts with your praise. Come on. Fill our hearts with your peace this morning. We ask of you, Lord. Oh, come on, would you lift your hands and receive this morning? Oh, receive your goodness, God. Oh, everyone, we receive of you, Lord. Oh, oh, come on. Is anybody in this house free today? Oh. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Oh, there is freedom, yeah. Hallelujah. Come on. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Come on. Amen. We're going to sing this song. It's called Holding Nothing Back. And I just pray and hope that you guys, as we sing this song, would do this, that. You guys would hold nothing back from the Lord this morning. You guys would act like you're 12 years old jumping around. Come on, because you guys know that the children will inherit the kingdom of heaven as well. Amen. Here we go. 
Help me sing, I am chosen. I am chosen, I am free. I have never got a tenor. Free now forever. You fix me up, turn me around. Set my feet on side ground. Yours now forever. We're singing nothing. And nothing's gonna hold me back. Yeah, nothing's gonna hold me back. Yeah, nothing's gonna hold me back. We'll sing it out. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I'm alive to live for you. I'm alive to live for you. Time is in love, how can it be? You gave everything for me. You gave everything for me. And everything. You wash. You wash my sin and sin away. This thing is clean. A brand new day. Free now forever. Now boldly I approach your throne. To claim this crown. Through Christ's smile. It's yours now for
Man, that just blesses my soul every morning. I don't know about you, church, but come on. Isn't it good to sing a song and mean it that God, he gave it all. That he didn't even shrink back from death. Come on. Come on, this next song is just talking about that. And if you're just hungry for the Lord with us this morning, come on, would you lift your hands? It's an attitude of surrender. God, this morning we don't come here to impress you. There's nothing we can do to impress you, God. But God, we give you our heart. That's what you're after. Come on, church, would you give them your heart this morning? That's what he desires from you. Come on. Oh, this morning, God, we surrender to you. Oh, Lord, oh, you search our hearts. You search our hearts, oh, Lord. Oh, come on, church, would you give them your heart this morning? Would you give them your heart? Oh, Lord, oh, God. We surrender to you, we surrender to you, God, for you, are the one we want to meet, and Jesus shine through. All the praises that we sing, oh, it's all for you, for you. All the one we want to meet, oh, Jesus shine through, Jesus shine All the praises that we sing and we sing. So come and let, come and let your presence fill our place, fill our place. Come. We have come to give you highest praise. 
this morning come on is there anybody out there who will count the cost oh oh who will love the Lord come on who will praise him come on that you won't hold anything back this morning church oh we love you God I'm not holding anything back Oh, we give it all to you. We give it all to you. God, my family and all there is to me. I give it all to you. I lay it at your feet. Oh, we love you, Lord. Come on, we love you, Lord. Oh, come on, lift your voice and surrender this morning.
give you highest praise, Lord. Oh, son, says and when we get to heaven you know what we're going to be doing there I mean I will tell you what the Bible says that we're going to be rewarded for the life that we live here that the Lord will give us crowns and with those crowns what will we do we just going to wear them and just admire them no we're going to be before the king of glory Jesus God himself we're going to get the opportunity to lay our crowns down at his feet and say back to him, God, everything that I did in this life, you were worthy. Man, it was all for you. Come on, right now as we're singing that song in the spirit, come on, let's sing that again. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to give it all to God right now. Come on, I believe the Holy Spirit is taking us closer and deeper. Come on, we're going to sing that again and just allow him to minister to your heart. Come on, we lay our crowns down at the feet.
and your healing power comes because you died to give it to us, Jesus. I cover them with your blood. I pray for healing in Lauren's body. I pray for many more children. I pray for a blessed womb. I pray that they would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I pray for your glory and goodness to be upon their family, that you would provide all that they need, Jesus. And in this time of mourning, that they would be strengthened, that they would walk in your power and authority, and they would provide healing for those around them that will go through the same things, God. I pray that they would keep their eyes on you, the author and the finisher of their faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I just want to pray again. Would you both just turn and face the altar just as a symbol of turning to the Lord? And Andrew, would you just take your wife's hand right now? And would you just whisper a prayer into her ear right now, whatever's on your heart, that God is with her? Hallelujah. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Hallelujah. Now, brothers and sisters, would you just stretch your hands one more time towards them? And now, Andrew, would you just raise your hands to heaven with your wife's hands? And would you just say, Lord, your will be done in our life. As the head of your house, would you just let the Lord know that when he gives and takes away, we still say, blessed be the name of the Lord, that we know this child is in heaven. We will see him or her there. But we also believe there's a hope in a future, that there's more children to come. And as your hands are raised, it's a symbol of surrender, saying, God, would you give us another child? We're faithful, Lord. We won't give up on your call for us to be fruitful and multiply. Send them, God, another child, Father. Not to replace this one, for no life can ever replace another life. But, Lord, so that they may fulfill your call to have a great big family. In the name of Jesus, you make all things new. You make all things new. In Jesus' name, saints, and if you agree with that, can we all say amen? Amen. Would you greet each other now and just give each other a hug as we greet them? Would you just say God loves you to someone next to you? to Metro Praise. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Metro Praise. My name is Griselda. Good to have you guys here this morning. I want to take this time to dismiss all of the children. If you could just please go right back there with your teacher. Miss Tina is ready to share Jesus with you. Amen. I just want to share the gospel with you real quick. 
the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Somebody say good news. Come on. That is good news, not bad news, although some people think that it's bad news. It really is good news. How many of you know that we're all sinners? That some way, somehow, we have all fallen short of God's standard. And because of that, the Bible says that we have stand condemned already. Do you guys know that? It's not Jesus' fault. It's our fault that we have stand condemned already. But he came into this world to set us free from sin. Amen? He came into this world that we may have life and life to the fullest. Not church will give you a life to the fullest. Not, a, not just being a good person, but Jesus. A true relationship with him by being born again. Today, we want to give you an opportunity to check your heart. If you're not right with Jesus Christ, that you might pray to him, talk to him, and tell him, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for the sacrifice you made for him. I received that sacrifice this morning, and I never want to be the same again. If you're in this place and you say, I'm a believer, and you say, I, I live for Jesus, I love him, then we want you to know that God wants you to be a disciple. Somebody say disciple. It's a student of God's word. It's learning how to live for Jesus and going out to tell the world about him. We have some prayer workers right over here, David and Monica, and they're ready and willing to pray with you and, and get you connected to this church so that you could get discipled. Amen? So we're going to pray now. Lord, we just thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the love that you've poured out upon us, dear God. It's evident in, in your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that in this room, if people are not born again, if they don't have a relationship with you, King, that today would be the day of their salvation. I pray for disciples to arise in this church. I bind excuses in the name of Jesus. And I pray that disciples that make disciples would arise in this church, dear God, that would change the world around them. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So they're right over there with you, ready and willing to pray. If you guys could just stand up to your feet with me, we're going to recite our confession of faith. Our confession of faith is our biblical worldview. If you would like a copy of this, please raise your hand, and one of our ushers will bring it to you. We got one right over here. And we're going to recite this on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Come on, give him some praise this morning. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? Isn't God good to us? Because of Jesus Christ, because of that, every first Sunday of the month, we take communion in, in this church. 
And so right now our elders are, are I'm sorry, our ushers are going to come around and they're going to pass out this communion to you. As you take it, I want you to look at it. The wafer representing his body and the juice representing his blood that was poured out for us. Matthew 26, 26, we're going to read that scripture as you guys receive your communion. Here's Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So as you take this, a symbol of Jesus' body being broken, he took the ultimate punishment for our sins this morning. We're going to give you a few minutes right now to take communion. You can do it on your own. You can take it with your family. But check your heart before the Lord. If you know that you're not right, you personally can make it right with him this morning. Amen? And go ahead and take your communion. Worship with us. Come on, it's his love that came to set us free. It's your love, Jesus. Come on, and we worship you this morning because of it. Thank you, dear God, that we can come together as believers and remember the awesome gift that you have given us, eternal life. Thank you, dear God, for transformation. Thank you for new hearts, dear God. Thank you for washing us clean and we're never the same again. Thank you, dear God, that you call us sons and daughters in this place. And you make something that's old and dirty and you make it new. Thank you, dear God, that you don't remember our sins, my King. God, you hold them as far as the east is from the west, dear God. We thank you, King. You are worthy of worship. You are worthy of honor. You are worthy of all the glory. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you. Come on, Metro Praise. Worship your King. Love came down and rescued me. Love came down and set me free. It's I am yours. 
Test one, two. Amen, amen, amen. Good morning. If you can do me the kind of favor, begin to make your way back to your seat. Amen. High fives all around. The party music going. Amen. I think Metro Praise International is one of the few churches that puts techno on during announcements. But we want you guys to be excited with us. And we believe that techno music gets you to that level. Just for no good reason, you just want to start moving. Like, man, I was tired, but now, now I'm moving. Hallelujah. Every Sunday service, amen, 10 a.m. here at Metro Praise International, we meet here and we love Jesus. If it isn't evident for you guys, I mean, during the service, you guys will hear a name being dropped by the name of J-E-S-U-S, Jesus. Hey, we love him. Amen. He is what we're here for. Every Sunday, 10 a.m. and every Friday, Elevate. Amen. We meet there as well. We love Jesus. Amen. Just some cool things. Every time you come here, we're going to tell you this one thing and this one thing only. If you never hear it, you're going to hear it now. Our vision is to love God and to love people. Man, Jesus himself said, man, the greatest thing you can do in your life is to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and we want to do that in excellence. In some ways we do that. We have a strategy because sometimes you can get into a church and lose focus and be like, oh, I just go to church. I sing songs and I'm good. And we want you guys to grow in everything that God has for you. And man, we believe when you connect here at the church, some ways that we do that through life groups, we're actually changing up the way we do life groups starting this month. And some of the things that we are doing, come on now, ministry-based, class-based, special needs-based, activity-based. Last week on Easter, we had the leaders come on up and share a little bit about what they're going to do, the whole purpose of what it is. If you want more information, we have more information for you on our website. Amen. And we also have the information for you guys on the Facebook page. Ministry base, you can find all throughout the weeks. As a matter of fact, tonight, somebody say tonight, we are going to start with our encounter with Pastor Chris and Vanessa. Come on, let's give it up. So listen, if you guys want Jesus, find a way to connect. We have these cool things, class-based with Ricky and, and Rachel, special needs, activity-based. Look it up if you want more information. The leaders are here at the church, okay? So you never have to worry like, man, you know what? I want to talk to the person. I have a specific question that I probably won't get off of Facebook. Find them. They are here. As a matter of fact, can I have the life group leaders, those who are represented here, would you do me a favor and stand to your feet for me, please? That way we can get it. just Ishmael. We've got Cynthia over here in the back. Amen. Amen. And then Chris in the back. So these are some of the leaders here. Amen. There's some more. If you have any questions, see them after service. Amen. Amen. We believe that once you get connected to Jesus, we mentor you in the word. That's the way we do it. Amen. Jesus, you know, he could have done anything when he came. And I love this example. Jesus could have said, man, the greatest thing you could do in your life, man, is get together and play some football. He could have done it. You don't think that there was some sort of, of sports back in the day? You ever heard of the Olympics, y'all? Hello, somebody. Jesus could have got together and said, man, the greatest thing y'all could do when you get together is wrestle. <laughs> he could have said something crazy like that. And all of us, guess what? We would meet here and we would begin to wrestle because Jesus said the greatest thing you can do in your life is, you know, just follow me here. But he said the greatest thing you can do <laughs> is to love him and to love people. We believe that, amen, and we get you mentored into the word of God so you can understand that Jesus didn't say the greatest thing you can do is to wrestle, amen, because someone can pull your, the wool over your eyes and be like, really? I didn't know it said in the Bible. No, get mentored and get trained up into the word of God and loving God and going back to where you normally go, whether it's your job, your family, back into your community with that same heart, showing Jesus and loving Jesus, amen. 
And we believe that's what we do. You send you out back to where you go. And our goal here is 100,000 disciples, 50 churches, and 500 around the world. If you believe we can do it, come on and give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Amen. Because he said, I will build my church. Amen. Amen. Let's prepare to give our tithes and our offerings this morning. Tithe 10% of your total income and offering whatever you give to God after your tithe. Some ways you can give your offerings is to the missions and to the building. Amen. We do um, what's called a financial meeting where we set aside, we delegate money. We're saying, man, this is what we want God to do through us. So you can rest assured that God is using whatever you guys give to build for his kingdom. Amen. Come on, amen. I want you guys to do me the kind of favor. Open up your Bibles with me to Matthew 6. Come on, open up your Bibles to Matthew 6. Amen. And, and I want to encourage you this morning, you guys can go all the way down to Matthew 6, 19. As we prepare to receive our tithes and offerings, some ways you can give online or quick, chase quick pay, rather. Amen. If that's more convenient for you, we have those options available to you. Amen. Matthew 6. Verse 19, it says like this, treasures in heaven. Here we go. Jesus is talking. If you guys have the Bible where it's, it's in red, this is Jesus speaking here, and he's saying it to the people, one of his most famous sermons. He starts in verse 19, do not store up for, for yourselves treasures on, everybody say it. Come on, say it like you're awake this morning. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on, that's it, amen, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in, amen, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Man, what I believe Jesus is teaching here is, is an easy, simple principle of understanding what you're here for in this life. And we understand that, man, the greatest thing in our life isn't to acquire all the sorts of monies because we know if you can ask and you can read up on the millionaires that even money isn't satisfying themselves. But your greatest, greatest purpose is to live for Jesus, to love people, and to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Man, how can you do that? It's like you're putting money away in the bank in heaven, but how can you do that? Because you love God, amen, and you love people. Man, that's credited to you, amen, and the ways you also do that is you give. It meant one quick thing to break greed and, and selfishness off of your life is to give. I mean, bless somebody. Amen. Storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Can you do me the kind favor and stand to your feet as we read this off, as we read this verse, rather? Preparing tithes and offering. Luke 6, 38. Let's read it together and count of three. One, two, three. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. But with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Come on, let us pray. Father, we pray this morning, God, the Lord, you would just uh, speak to our hearts, God, and, and challenge us to give to you. Father, we know that you are the, the author of salvation, and Father, in your hands are all good things. You bless us, God, with everything good, Father. You didn't even hold back to hold uh, your son Jesus from us. And God, we pray that this morning we would have the same heart. Teach us how to give unto your church. So, Father, that we can see your kingdom here on earth. It's our desire and our prayer, God, that you would use us. And, Father, we also pray for the financial opportunities, those who are waiting for jobs to come through. Father, those who are waiting for promotions. Father, those who are working hard at this very time. Father, we pray for them, Father. We pray that you would bless your people, God, so that they would be a blessing unto others. We ask of you in Jesus' name. Come on and say amen. Come on up as you give. Amen.
Amen. If you love Jesus, can I get a woo-woo? Come on, see, it ain't even Easter, but y'all love Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, you must really love Jesus. Come on, see, you ain't just a creaster, are you? You're not just coming on Christmas and Easter. You know Jesus deserves more than that. Look at your neighbor and say, creasters? Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Man, heaven and hell is at stake, baby. We got to make sure we're going to heaven, amen? 24-7, get rid of the sin and the leaven. Woo! Wepa, there it is. Well, we are starting a whole new series this month. It's awesome, man. It's also on our blog. We are doing daily devotions, if you didn't know, lifechangingdevotions.com. Everybody say this with me, lifechangingdevotions.com. One, two, three, lifechangingdevotions.com. Thank you. So if you want to keep up with us this whole month, every day of the week, I am sending you a different proverb with a short devotional and some reflective prayers, man. You can get it sent directly to your email or you can just check on the Facebook page whenever you get it up and want to look at it. So every day this month, we're giving you a proverb, and then every Sunday, we're going to preach on a proverb. So think about it like this. Every Sunday in April at 10 a.m. is the preaching, and every day at Life Changing Devotions is the teaching. Look at your neighbor and say, preaching and teaching, baby. See what I'm saying? It's awesome to be at church. It's awesome. Awesome. I got everything. That's like a once-in-a-lifetime thing. How did that even happen? I don't even think I could do that if I... I don't know what's going on with that. Gotta stop. I'm entertaining myself too much now. Open up your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 1, please. Starting in Proverbs chapter 1, 1 through 7. Nancy, I'm going to ask uh, that you would get that ready for me, please. Proverbs is written from the perspective of David teaching his son, King Solomon, and now King Solomon teaching his son about wisdom. David was the second king of Israel, and he was the best king of Israel. And he had so much wisdom, and he taught his son that wisdom, Solomon. And then Solomon wanted to pass it down to his children and to the whole nation that they could be wise like their father David was and as God made him to be. Solomon, the one who writes the majority of the Psalms all the way up to, I believe, Psalms, uh, excuse me, Proverbs, wrote all of the Proverbs. His father David wrote the Psalms all the way up until uh, 29. 29, 30, and 31 are written by different individuals. Was meant to be like a father instructing his children. And what I want my wife to do is to bring my children up here right now. Will you give it up for the woman of God of faith and power for the hour? You know she's got to be special to love me. Look at you guys. Now, this is Bethany, my oldest. She just turned four years old. This right here is my second oldest, Hannah. She just turned three years old. And this is Lucas. He's turning one years old uh, in a couple days next week. So this is, that's okay. Uh, uh, This is Bethany Boopster, Hanster Bonanster, and Lukester the Cutester. Can I try to hold him? Thank you. This is my man right here. This is my man. This is all man meat right here. 
Now, I, I want you guys to get the illustration of this. I want you to get the illustration of this. Solomon is wanting to pass down his wisdom that he got from his father to his children. How many parents do I have here? Can I hear an amen? Amen. What wisdom would we as a parents want to pass down to these precious children? I want you to listen to this as I read Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1 and onward. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction into prudent behavior, doing what is right, just, and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, for sayings of the riddles of the wise. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. to want to sit down with my son or my daughters here and want to teach them wisdom. And imagine if I was to say to them, the first thing, Lucas, you need to understand is to fear the Lord. All the days of your life, Lucas, fear the Lord. Bethany, do you love Jesus? Are you shy right now? Is this going to scar you for the rest of your life? Hannah, do you love Jesus? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now listen to me, girls. Can you put your hand down, please? Don't be shy. It's okay. Look at Daddy. Look at Daddy. Oh, come here. Come here. Oh, this is backfiring. <laughs> Sit down right here. Sit down right here. I'm going to do this. Yeah, with our kids. Hannah. I'm going to do Will you guys give me grace with this for a few moments? Because God actually told me to do this. This is one of the weird things God told me to do. It's not working according to plan, but I ain't giving up on it. Now, I want you guys to think about this. You guys love Jesus, right? Right? Now, you know your daddy loves you, right? Does daddy love you? Okay. Right? Now, listen. God, he is so big. And he gives us rules to obey. And if we want to have a blessed life, we have to obey his rules. If you can understand that in life, you will have a blessed life. Do you understand what daddy just said? So God is big, right? And he's the Trinity. What does the word Trinity mean? Three in one. Three in one. Who, who is the Trinity, Hannah? Amen. Amen. What what does the word attribute mean, Hannah? No, word attribute. What does it mean, Bethany? Qualities. Qualities. What are the three major attributes of God, Hannah? What are the three attributes of God, Bethany? Qualities. No, no. What are the qualities, the attributes of God? Yes, he is. So God wants us to obey his rules. Do we obey God's rules, Hannah? Yes. And if we do, we'll have a long life, right? Amen. Let's give it up for the family here today. Amen. Praise him. Now think about that. 
Think about that. This is the concept that Solomon wants us to understand, that we teach our children to know and honor God, that we teach our children that our God is big, he's great, he loves them, but he wants them to obey him. And so we should raise up our children, as the Bible says, in the fear and admonition of the Lord, right? So it doesn't matter what culture says. It doesn't matter what Dr. Phil, Oprah Winfrey, what any of them say. We are responsible for raising up our children in the fear of the Lord, which we're going to talk about today, and his wisdom, admonition. Can you say amen? Amen. So this has got to be our heart as parents. Now, as a church, we should teach each other these things as adults. That's the concept of discipleship. When you join this church, there's a 101 that we do one on one with you. Why? Because we're wanting to teach you the things of the Lord. Then after you graduate that, there's a 201 in a classroom setting where you memorize scripture, you stay accountable, you pass classes to advance into leadership. Why? So that you may be wise in the Lord. This whole book of Proverbs is a type and a shadow, as a matter of fact, of Jesus Christ's ministry upon the earth. Did not Jesus come to a mountainside, draw people to him, and teach the children of God the wisdom of God? Did he not do that? Should we not do that with our children and with each other? Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now I want you to hear what this proverb is saying. And the notes are in a blog form on Facebook or at the website, mpichurch.org. mpichurch.org. If you ever forget, it's on our, um, our back wall over here. You can get these notes right here for you, and you can share them with your friend after this service. But I want you to grasp today what the fear of the Lord is, what that really means, and how that will bless you, your family, and all that you do. When we look at Solomon getting the wisdom that he received, you don't have to turn there with me, but in 1 Chronicles chapter 2, uh, 2 Chronicles rather, chapter 2, the Bible says that the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, Solomon, I was with your father David, now I'm going to be with you. Ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. Does anybody know what King Solomon said he wanted? He wanted what? Wisdom. Come on, say it again, wisdom. Thank you. And then God said, man, because you said wisdom, I'm now going to give you great power and great riches. So that then King Solomon not only became the wisest man on the earth, he also became the most powerful and the richest man on the earth. But his heart was to be wise. And so I want you just to stop right here as we're thinking about the fear of the Lord, how Solomon even got this revelation. It was to be wise. So the question I want to ask you, do you want wisdom? Wisdom, or do you want folly? Do you want to be stupid or do you want to be smart? Come on, look at your neighbor and say, don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. Come on. I'm trying my best at a Chicago accent, but you know what I'm doing here. Come on. You don't want to be stupid. You know, get out of here. You're stupid. Get out of here. You know, you don't want to be that guy. You want to be the wise guy, but the wise guy in a good way. Now, now here, here's the thing about Proverbs that you're going to see from beginning to end is that Proverbs will continually contrast the fool to the wise person. Now, there was once a famous man, the great theologian, Mr. T, that gave us a great statement about the fool. He said, I pitied a fool. I pitied a fool, right? So Mr. T, that great theologian, teaches us a lifelong lesson that if you are a fool, you get pity. We feel sorry for you. 
You know, because stupid is as stupid does. All of this ties in to what we're learning today. Now, I want you to look at these notes as I reread these verses quickly for you. Because verses 1, verse 1 tells us who is writing this. This is the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David. But verses 2 all the way to verse 6 tell us what these Proverbs are going to do. And as a matter of fact, these Proverbs are going to have 10 benefits to your life. So I would suggest that you get involved with the devotional, get one a day, and then try to read the whole book of Proverbs this month, and a proverb a day will keep stupidity away. Okay, just say it with me, one, two, three. A proverb a day will keep stupidity away. There you go. Here they are quickly, because he says that the purpose of this book is for gaining wisdom and instruction. So if you want to gain wisdom and instruction, read Proverbs. Number two, understanding words of insight. If you have read the Bible before and said, I don't quite get all what the Bible is trying to tell me, Proverbs is kind of like a good place to start because if you can understand Proverbs, you'll then understand the other more difficult parts of the Bible. And not only, let me just pause here, not only is the wisdom that we're talking about, like for Star Wars for Jesus, like I'm so smart, I'm a level four Jedi Knight warrior, you know, I speak in tongues and cast out devils, but this wisdom is also for your everyday life. So as you learn it here, you apply it everywhere. Okay, so I wanted to say it because sometimes th people think like there's spiritual knowledge, and I'm really good at spiritual knowledge, and then there's like actual stuff I do at my job, and they're like two different worlds, you know. Like God doesn't know how to do stuff at your job. He only knows how to tell you about the seraphim and the cherubim, right? But, but no, there is knowledge that you learn here that you apply there. Ever heard of Harvard? Ever heard of Princeton? Ever heard of Yale? Guess what those were when they first were started? Bible colleges, seminaries. The, 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 the logo, the motto for Harvard was the truth of Christ for his church. Now they just say the truth or veritas in Latin. But Harvard was started as a Bible college. Why? Because they did not want Christians to be ignorant. As a matter of fact, the entire collegiate system comes from Christianity, the ability to get credits in class and to earn a degree. Uh, Sir Isaac Newton, anybody ever hear of him? When the greatest physicist of all times wrote more about the Bible than he did about science and physics. So we're, we're not saying that God's over here and true smart stuff's over here. No, we're saying everything that God has as wisdom applies to every area of your life. So the wisdom you learn here applies to everywhere else. So number one, gaining wisdom and instruction. That's the, that's the benefit of reading this book. Number two, understanding words of insight. Number three, receiving instruction on prudent behavior, which a word for prudent is wise. How many people think in this generation we need some people to wise up? To wise up in their behavior. Common sense ain't so common anymore, is it? People have lost their minds. People have gotten crazy. You just watch TV shows. You can see how crazy things have gotten. So what does a proverb do? This book, these proverbs are going to teach people how to live a wise life, how to be prudent. And isn't it a good thing to be prudent again? And we don't mean to be a prude like a snob. We mean to be wise. That's what that word means. Number four, uh, four doing what is just, right, and fair. 
so we can learn as a people how to operate in our families, on our jobs, wherever we go, how to do what is right, just, and fair. You ever heard of the U.S. Constitution? Do you know that the people who signed that went to God in prayer? There's actually a, a, a picture with them signing the Declaration of Independence on their knees praying. And that still to this day when Congress and House of Representatives get together, there's a chaplain who prays. Your dollar bill says, in God we trust. I'm not saying everything we did was perfect. But when these men looked to the Bible to develop what was right, just, and fair, the American country came out of it. And I think America is still the best nation around. Amen? I ain't running to Saudi Arabia. I ain't running to any of those countries. I still think we got it the best. And it's just an example of what happens when people use those principles. Number five, giving prudence to the simple. Now, that is, once again, prudence means wisdom. Simple means kind of foolish, like you don't get it. And this is not something that you have as a mental deficiency. So we shouldn't say retarded and call that a name because someone who suffers mentally, that is not their fault. But if you are simple-minded and dumb and it's, and it's not a physical thing, that is your fault, okay? Like I can help somebody that has a mental illness and give them a medication, but we can't help stupid. If you want to stay stupid, you're going to be stupid. Are you all tracking with me today? And, and the Bible is saying if you're dumb, if you're living dumb, if you're living foolishly, if you're living simple-mindedly, God's going to help you. He's going to give you wisdom. As a matter of fact, as you read through the other chapters here, past this chapter 1, like 3, 4, 5, and 6 of Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a person that stands aloud in the city gates and says, all you simple ones, come to me and I'll make you wise. This book was one of my favorite books to read when I first got saved 18 years ago because I was dumb. And I wasn't just dumb, I was ignorant. That means I was dumb on purpose. You could tell me what to do, but I still did it. Wrong, I still live like a fool. But man, the moment I started reading Proverbs, it just felt like I was getting downloaded into my mind the wisdom of God. It's like... And I started getting smarter because I go, man, this makes sense. So we should be able to see that no matter where a person is today on the wisdom scale of life, whether they're super wise or super ignorant, they can gain wisdom through this. The next thing that we learn, number five, is that knowledge and discretion, which the word discretion means purpose, is given to the young. Now, let me just share this with some of my young adults here. College used to be a place that people went to with a purpose. So you would talk to people 50, 60 years ago, 100 years ago, what are you in this college for? They would say, well, my purpose in this college is to become you know, a lawyer, to become a statesman, to become a teacher, to become X, Y, and Z. But now most children look to college as a place to discover their purpose. Hence, we're graduating so many people from college who still work at Starbucks, nothing wrong with it, but they got three degrees, one in liberal arts, one in this, one in that, and they still don't know what they want to do because they're without purpose. And the reason why they're without purpose is because they haven't gone to the Word of God to discover their purpose. So where do young adults, where do our 20-somethings, UIC and Urbana, uh, you know, uh, uh, University of Illinois, where do college students and young adults and teenagers need to get their purpose from? The B-I-B-L-E. 
the Bible will speak to them about their purpose. It may not say here that, you know, you're going to be a chef or you're going to be an architect, but by reading the Bible, you'll get understanding to who you are. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the Proverbs says, a man's heart is like deep waters, but a person of understanding draws them out. So as you begin to read the Proverbs, you'll be able to look down into the deep part of who you are and discover who you are and what you were made for. But if you don't know how to go into the deep places of who you are, you'll be on the surface level thinking, if I just go to college and get a job, I'll be happy. But that's not making anyone happy. Hence the young adults we have today, 30-year-old, living at home, working at McDonald's, wondering what they're going to be in life. We have an epidemic. It's not that we need more college-educated uh, college young people. We need more young people with purposes. Because, by the way, this is a new phenomenon. There was a time when we didn't send all of our kids to college. They learned how to do a trade. They learned how to get involved in manufacturing or development. And they would work a happy life, uh, work a good job having a happy life, because they knew their purpose wasn't just a job. It was to take care of their family. But now we watch reality TV and all of these things, and we think purpose is money and homes. And the reason young people are so jacked up and messed up and they're superheroes look at who their superheroes are you want to know who young people look up to they look up to young people who can take a rubber ball listen to this bounce it and put it in a metal circular rim <laughs> isn't that crazy like what do i expect to learn from a guy that does that you see they look up to sports heroes like that guy's my hero because he bounces a ball puts it in a metal rim he don't know his left hand from his right, friends. Just because he can run faster, shoot faster, do whatever, doesn't mean he's a mentor or a role model. Your parents should be your role model. Jesus is your role model. The Bible should give you purpose and identity. Not some rapper with gold teeth, tattoos all over his face. Hello, you know, but oh, I want to be like Little Wayne. Little Wayne don't need to get a job, guys. You show up looking all crazy, and say, hey, you ain't going to get no job. Hey, men and women, stop encouraging this because your man needs to have three things, a J-O-B, an A-P-T, and a C-A-R. If he don't have any of those things, you need to tell him to get his purpose. Hello, somebody. Look at, look at number seven, verse five. Add learning to the wise. Do I have any people here that are wise? It's okay. We ain't going to make fun of you. Is it, you know, like, no, I'm so humble, I'm dumb. No, are you wise? <laughs> Is anybody here wise? I'm raising my hand. I mean, have you, have you already read your Bible and did some things, right? So you're wise. Well, guess what the good news is for you and for I, people who are wise. We go to the Proverbs at any stage in our life, not just when we're young, not just when we're simple, but at any stage of our life, and it will give us wisdom. It will give us wisdom. It will deposit into you wisdom. You'll read something that you read. Like for me, I've been saved for almost 18 years. And I'm, I'm making this devotional on these Proverbs. And I'll read something that I read when I was 18 years old, when I first got saved 18 years ago. And today, it means more to me now than it did then. It's like it just unpacks into a wealth of knowledge that I never imagined could be there. I'm literally seeing it like a diamond, reflecting with all different angles because God's truth is so multifaceted and deep and can touch you at every place and every uh, person you are, no matter who you are, what place you are in life. Wisdom will increase you in your understanding. 
It's, it's to be desired. It, it's to be a learner. And as a matter of fact, now you see this with these things on Facebook, like these uh, mental games they want you to play. But there's some truth behind that, that they, find out, they found out neurologically that the mind that is active stays healthy. And that if this generation can be healthier in our mind by keep learning and continuing to, to practice memorization, we can possibly stay off Alzheimer's and dementia further because the mind is a muscle that needs to be practiced and worked with number eight guidance to the discerning or guidance to the understanding there will be times in your life at different seasons where you're going to want to know what path to take. What direction should I go in? You may be single looking to get married. You're going to be looking at that person as a possible mate. You'll also be maybe thinking about a different job or, or a different thing that you'll do on your job. And you'll want direction. What should I do? God can speak to you through these Proverbs. I don't know about you, but I love it when I receive good advice. Does anybody love good advice? Look at your neighbor and say, see if they took good advice by the clothes they wore this morning. If not, you give them some good advice. Amen. Now we're like, are we judging each other? I'm so sorry. That's not what I, I think of these things as examples, but they don't work, man. But you know what I'm talking about. We, we need to receive advice. I, I showed up at this place, this Italian place, and this guy's been dressing me ever since. So if you wonder, like, man, why has he got jackets on, these things? That's because somebody told me to wear them, to hide my little love muscle down here. You know what I'm saying? Because once I got married and have kids, my wife keeps losing baby weight. I keep finding it, putting it on, tucking it away for later. Like I look at people playing Survivor, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I could survive, baby. I could survive. You could just stop feeding me for like a month, and I would just... I'll just go right into the reserves. So we need, we, we need to take advice, but, but help, help me on this. How do we always have the right person around us? How do we know if we have the right person around us to get that advice from? You see, Proverbs will serve as a filter of the advice that you're getting from other people. So let's say, you know, you're on your job, and this one may seem obvious, but let me just give it as an example. You're on your job, and maybe there's a coworker that's been there a little bit longer than you, and they've figured out how to beat the system. Whether it's with their time card, something simple, like, hey, you know what, if I clock in for you some days, then you can come late. And if I clock in, you clock in for me, then I can come late. We can get around this time card thing. Or maybe like with taxes or different things, they'll say, you know what, if you claim this and don't claim this and say this, they'll never catch you. You can get more money back on your taxes. There is a way, the proverb says, that seems right unto a man, but in the end it leads to death. So proverbs will give you the filter to discern what kind of advice are you getting. So you may sit back and go, wow. Yeah, that would make sense. You could get away with it, but I think that's only right in your eyes. That's not right in my God's eyes. I'm filtering that advice. Also, there's another proverb that says, when sinners entice you and say, come on and do this with me. Let's make quick money together. Let's do this together. The Bible says don't do it because eventually they fall by their own trap. Has anybody ever seen that in our government? Governmental leaders be corrupt and then they fall to their own trap and get put in jail. Anybody know about a governor like that? Gavoyevich, what's his name? Bogoyevich, Bogoyevich, whatever that name is. Old dude's in jail, right? Slick Rick, he's in jail. Whatever we're going to call him, Slick Billy, he's in jail. That dude didn't make it very far, did he? He got caught. The Bible tells us about that. So you need to learn to understand how to receive advice. Number nine, understanding proverbs and parables. 
There are things in life that are going to come to you through wisdom of other people. And if you don't know how to receive it, it will go right over your head. And not all of them are found in the Bible, but they're wise things. And if you're a wise person, you'll begin to understand wise things. Let me give you an example. I was talking to my best friend's dad about marriage. And I said, man, I just don't know how to pick the right one. You know, and I'm not saying I was good looking, but, you know, I'm saying couple girls, you know, and I had to choose here, and eventually all broke up with me, and it got bad, but I was like a little cocky, and I'm like, man, how do I choose, you know, and this is what he said to me, he said, you don't have to pray and ask God if it's the right one when you found the right one, you just know, but that went right over my head. I still went to uh, Christian Cafe online dating. I still went all around the world, and I, couldn't still, I still couldn't find my baby, you know. And then all of a sudden, Nancy comes into my life, and I'm still looking around at girls. Nancy is, like, getting upset with me, like, what's going on? But I'm not listening to that simple advice that this man had given me years ago that was true. Then eventually Nancy and I went out. Then we broke up because I still didn't think she was the one, very slow learner, okay? And then eventually God said to me, that's your one. And then I began to think about it, and I didn't have to ask God anymore if she was my one. Because once I understood I couldn't live without somebody like her, that I needed somebody like her, I understood that saying that that man gave me years ago that would have saved me all of that trouble in dating. Hence the reason I wrote the book, Date Like a Christian. So if anybody needs any help, pick up that book. And the la uh, last thing is understanding sayings and riddles of the wise. And that is the same as understanding the Proverbs and the parables of the Bible. Somebody say that's a good introduction. So who wrote the book of uh, Proverbs? Solomon. Who was his dad? David, okay? And then we've got the ten reasons why to read the book of Proverbs. Now, if you don't understand what the word proverb itself means, it's a saying of the wise. Similar to what we would think of as a fortune cookie. But Proverbs are better than fortune cookies. You know why? Because they come from God. Fortune cookies come from man. They don't bear the wisdom of God. And I remember when I first got saved, I was so just like spiritual. I was like, man, I ain't reading no fortune cookie. Like I wasn't even going to eat the fortune cookie. So I'd give it to people like Ishmael. Ishmael, you eat my fortune cookie. He'd been eating a lot of them. You know what I'm saying? He loves, <laughs> sorry, just calling you out. He loves eating them fortune cookies. You know what I mean? I don't care about no fortune. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I would be out with people. And then one time I was with a pastor, and he's like, no, no, no. You are missing the beauty of this fortune cookie. What you need to do is read it, and then at the end of the fortune cookie, add the statement in the bathroom. So I took my fortune cookie, took it, and read it out loud. And it said, you shall find great success today in the bathroom. And I said, man, that thing's funny. I said, read your fortune cookie, man. Say, in the bathroom. So now I got love me a fortune cookie in the bathroom. Those things are so funny. Are you guys, you will find love today in the bathroom. <laughs> things will not go right for you today in the bathroom. <laughs> love me a fortune cookie. But those things are superstition. They come from man. You know, sometimes people open up the Bible and just flip it around and boom, wherever it lands, that's a word from the Lord. Don't do that. That's superstition, okay? 
Don't do that. So what we need to do is understand that Proverbs come from Solomon, their wisdom, and we have to apply the wisdom. We have to read the wisdom and then learn from it and do what it says. Now, the key to this introduction comes into that verse 7. It says, after all of those ten things that you'll get from these Proverbs, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Somebody say the fear of the Lord. Thank you. Why would the writer of, of Proverbs put that fear of the Lord as the introduction? Because he obviously knew how important it was. That if you were going to receive these ten benefits from these Proverbs, that you must understand the first step you have to take is to fear God. Now, in our culture, we don't want to fear God. We want to look at God like he's Barney, right? Like, I love you, you love me, we're a happy with a great big hug and a kiss from me. You, won't you say you love me too? And now come to the kingdom of God, children. Like, we just think that's what Jesus was doing, right? Like, he was just skipping along. He was just skipping along. And maybe he talked a little bit of feminine, and he was just like, hey, guys, here I am. It's so good to be here. Just want to remodel your life, renovate your life. Sashay, sashay. Jesus loves you so darn. Oh, God loves you so darn much. You're just so stinking cute. We, we think that Jesus will talk like that. Like he talked, like the remodel from the Oprah Winfrey show. And by the way, for me having so many problems with Oprah, I watch her too much. Pray for me. But you know what I'm talking about, the guy who comes on there and remodels everything. Jesus was a man. Somebody say he was a man. Women say he was a man. Come on, women, you want a man. You want a man of God, do you not? You don't want none of that. You want a real man. Now check this out. Jesus hardly ever had this lovey-dovey message. As a matter of fact, most of the time what he was saying was repent. You're in sin. But he did have a message of love, but the message of love was you need to now respond to this love. It's one thing for me to come to my wife and say, I love you, I love you, I love you, and then go out and cheat on her. That's one thing, right? She would have a right to question my love. Do you think my wife would have a right to question my love if I said I love her but cheat on her? Okay, so Jesus was saying, it's a given that God loves you. These Jewish people already knew that. The real ones that needed to understand the love of God were the pagans who, who thought that all God wanted to do was judge and kill them and destroy them. So that is really his intention with them. That's why the Gospel of John, who is written towards a pagan audience, involves so much of the love and the story of the adulterous woman. But if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what is known as the Synoptic Gospels, when he's talking to the Jewish people, it's much more of a, a tighter gospel. It's much more of a kind of in your face. You need to repent and get right. It's not to say that God is not loving. It's just to say to people like us, back then the Jews understood God's love, but were doing nothing about it. They were cheating on God, as it were. Are you all tracking with me? So Jesus is love to a Jewish person that knew the commandments of God, but yet kept breaking them wasn't well, you keep breaking those commandments. We don't really need them, you know. I mean, we're just hanging around here. Thou shalt not. It's really thou shalt maybe. 
But let's not talk about that. Let's just talk about my love for you. You know, I love you. You're cute. What are you doing tonight? You know, like, no, that wasn't what he was doing. If you look right at the beginning of Mark, right at the beginning of Matthew, right at the beginning of Luke, it says, from this point forward, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Why is that? Because they had forgot the fear of the Lord. They had forgot that their God that they knew as Father was also going to judge them. And I believe today, like in Solomon's time, we need to be reminded of the importance of the fear of the Lord. We, like Jesus, need to be reminded, as he reminded others, I need to remind you and myself that God is going to judge us. And if we don't understand that principle, we will not truly obey him. Now, sometimes people think that love is the motivator by itself. And I do believe that love motivates us. But I want you to think about this. Think about this. This may blow your mind, but you need to think about this. There are people in your family that you love, right? But you've probably done things against them that you would never do against somebody you feared. Think about this. I did things against my mom's love. But I never dared did those same things against my dad's fear or power that I knew he had. Are you all tracking with me? You see, you'll get into an argument and tell somebody off. But once they get a gun, let's say you're sane and normal. I go, you got a gun? I don't care. Most people ain't going to be like that, okay? So somebody pulls out a gun. At that moment, you're going to stop going against that person. Be like, oh, well, you got a gun. End the discussion. Why? Because you fear what that gun does. Now, if they don't have a gun, you're puffing out your chest like a peacock and you're going all the way. But once the gun comes out, once again, normal person, normal person goes, oh, whoa, we're okay. No problem. No problem. Why? Because we will sin against people's love in a way we don't sin against the fear of what we have of people. And what God is trying to show us is that you need both to motivate you. You can't just simply see God as the one who loves you and always forgives you and doesn't have in himself a judgment because if you see him that way, you won't truly understand what judgment day is. Now, you may be thinking of the scripture that says in 1 John that perfect love casts out all fear, and that is true. We as Christians should never think that God is going to just randomly send us to hell, that we would be afraid that somehow he would change his mind about us. But Paul then did all also say that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So I like this quote that I have at the end of the message that I want to share with you now and work my way back through it. Would you go all the way to the end, my brother? It's a quote that I think will help you of what the fear of the Lord is. Knowing that God's wrath has been satisfied in Christ relieves the believer from the fear of condemnation, but not from accountability to a holy God. Can I define to you what the fear of the Lord is? Okay, if you're taking notes, the fear of the Lord means to fear God in the sense of judgment and to obey his commands. Solomon said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, do you have a sense in you towards God that one day I will be judged by him, therefore I obey his commands? If you don't get that right, you will not have the knowledge of God. 
If you think the knowledge of God is not based in God judging you, then you will most likely teach, treat the knowledge of God as if it's optional. And let me give you an example of this. When I go out witnessing and I talk to somebody, maybe they're having sex outside of marriage, and I go, this is a sin, and you need to repent because Galatians 5 says that those who continue to do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If they don't have a fear of God, what will they say back to me? Something along the lines of, well, I ain't got to do that now. I'll do that another time. Or that's not for me. That's for somebody else. Do you understand? They don't have the fear of God. Therefore, they don't understand the knowledge of God's commands. But let's say I was talking to a backslider or somebody that was already under conviction. And maybe they're even here today. And you've been doing this type of behavior. This is what the Bible calls immorality, fornication. And as I'm preaching like this, your conscience is stricken. And so you say to yourself, I know that I'm a sinner. I ought to repent and get right with God. Do you know who you are? You are a God-fearer. And that is a good thing. That means you still fear God. That means when you hear his commands, like the police officer commanding traffic, when you see him say, stop, you stop. But if you just blow past that police officer, you don't fear the law. You're crazy. You'll go in jail. If you blow past the commandments of God without any regard to them, you will perish eternally in hell. That's why you back it up to what Solomon is saying. The fear of the Lord, understanding his judgment, in relation to his commandments will make you smart. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Well, what is a fool? A fool is somebody by definition who doesn't do what is wise. They do not listen to instruction. So do you want to be a fool or do you want to be wise? If you want to be wise, you're supposed to fear the Lord. That means you have to tie into God's character a judgment side. And though I was prancing around and being funny, do you know that Jesus actually spoke to entire cities and he said, Woe unto you on judgment day, for you rejected me. It would have been better for Sodom and Gomorrah to be on judgment day than for you. He actually said to some people, you are snakes, you're vipers, you're twice dead, you're sons of the devil. Now, could you imagine hearing something like that from Jesus? How about when he went into the, uh, the, the temple and he, he ran out the money changers with a whip? This is not prance and dance and Jesus here. This isn't Jesus Christ, the superstar. This is Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory and the King of kings. This is who he is. But listen, in the midst of that, there were people. He said, oh man, he's serious. I need to repent. You read the book of Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter 2, 3, and 4. He's speaking to his churches. At one point, he says to the church of Laodicea, because you're neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. They had a choice at that moment to fear God and obey his commandments or suffer his wrath. Now ask yourself this question, do I fear the Lord? In what sense, pastor? In the sense of facing God's judgment in regards to keeping his commands. Or are you a fool, like Proverbs 10.23 says, that has no regards for the things of God, but actually delights in your wickedness? Look at, just I'll read it to you, but you can turn there quickly. Proverbs 10.23, I'll wait there for some of you. Which one are you going to be today, a God-fearer or a fool? Proverbs 10, 23, it says, A fool finds no 
a, excuse me, a fool finds pleasure in what? What do they find pleasure in? Evil conduct. But a man of understanding delights in wisdom. Now you may say, Pastor, haven't we all sinned? Yes. But now understand the difference. The one who fears God repents of their sin and turns from it with a pure heart and literally means it. For example, back to the marriage. I haven't cheated on my wife, but if I said things to her that I shouldn't have said, yes. And because I fear God and my wife, I come back to her and I repent. And I say, honey, I shouldn't have said those things. Now, when I say repent and come back to her and do that, what I literally mean is I am turning from my behavior, the prior behavior that caused offense. I am turning away from it. Repent. Penance is to be sorry. Re means to turn away from it. I am turning from the thing that grieved her heart in God's. And when I say, I, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? In my heart at that time, if you put me to a lie detector test and you asked me, Joe, do you ever intend to make that mistake again? I would say no. And it would come up as telling the truth. Because why? I fear God. But some people, like this proverb, the fool finds pleasure in doing wicked things. So what happens is, because they don't have a fear of God, they despise wisdom and instruction. They don't listen. They don't change. They don't grow in wisdom. They play the repentance game. Do you want to know what the repentance rat race game is? You ever see a rat that kind of runs around its little thing, and a little gerbil? They play the repentance game, which is, I sin, I say I'm sorry, I go sin again. I sin, and then I say I'm sorry, I go sin again. And I just keep saying I'm sorry, and I just keep on sinning because we're all sinners. And we expect God to get involved in that little rat race and he has nothing to do with it because it's not genuine repentance we're actually taking pleasure in our sin and using repentance as a means to keep sinning and what does he say to us you're a fool you're a fool you despise wisdom you're not changing what is wisdom application of knowledge that is wisdom application of knowledge think about this you know two plus two equals four Wisdom is how to apply that when you're buying groceries. To know when you give $4 for something that costs $2, you get back another $2. Knowledge of addition, wisdom is the application of a thing. You may know anatomy, but until you sit into the surgery room as a doctor and actually perform the surgery, you don't have the wisdom of a doctor to perform surgery. So wisdom is application of knowledge. Knowledge to know the thing. Wisdom to apply the thing. Instruction is how you get the thing. Are you understanding? You get knowledge through instruction, through the practice of knowledge. You get wisdom. The fool despises it. The fool hears the instruction but doesn't obey. Therefore, they don't have the knowledge. They don't practice the knowledge. They have no wisdom. That's why they're a fool. So what do they now find pleasure in? They don't find pleasure in wisdom, the application of knowledge. They find uh, pleasure in their sinful practice. Which one are you today? I pray that all of us choose to be wise Listen to what the proverb says, the ones that we're discussing today. If you could put it up there, please, quickly. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, I want you to see here the conceptualist argument for God's existence. How many want to go deep? Deep. How many want to go deep with it? Right here, we're going deep. Go and put up the notes for me, profevor. Atheists think they can be wise without God, but the Bible says the fool says in their heart there is no God. 
Therefore, by definition, the one who denies that there is a God is actually a fool, one lacking wisdom, application of knowledge. They haven't received the instruction of the Lord. Let me prove it to you right here. Philosophy. The thing they think they have on their side actually is against them. I even have this on my website. Uh, uh, Facebook, I'm debating with some atheists, and as you'll notice, most atheists today are believers in scientism. And scientism means if you can't test it through the scientific method, it doesn't exist. So love doesn't exist, morality doesn't exist, a purpose, meaning of life doesn't exist because it can't be proven scientifically. This is an odd way of thinking because all the things we do in life presuppose that things exist that we don't test scientifically. For example, your self-identity exists without us proving it scientifically. So this person talking and debating with me is doing it from the person of their self, which we can't prove scientifically they even exist, yet they want to tell me I'm wrong. That's like a little child sitting up on the lap of the father, slapping the father in the face. They're using the identity of consciousness and self to tell God that he doesn't exist. But their conscience is actually the proof that he exists. It's another discussion for another day. Many times people say, you know, that uh, I don't believe in absolute truth. You have your truth. I have my truth. You need to then ask them, do you believe that? Absolutely. Because they just stated the first absolute truth, which is there is no absolute truth. You all think that's a mind game. It ain't a mind game. You need to take your time and think about it. They say to you, there ain't no such thing as truth. Well, is that true what you just said? Bong. Think about it, friends. Wisdom, knowledge is not on the side of the atheist. They are the fool according to our Bible. Wisdom and knowledge is on, on our side. Now, this doesn't mean that atheists can't be really smart and tinker and play with toys and do things really good. Okay, they can put together their little, their little models and all their little things and give good speeches and play good basketball, whatever atheists do in this life. But it, it, by definition, they are a fool because they don't receive instruction. Let me help you understand this. When we talk about what wisdom is by itself, Wisdom, philosophy, knowledge, understanding, it exists and we discover it. Meaning, two plus two existed as an abstract object and somebody eventually discovered what it is. One of the best ways to understand this is think about pi. You know, 3.14, that thing that runs on forever. Pi has numbers that we still haven't figured out yet. And we're like the 15 trillion digits in pi, but there's still... 30 billion, uh, uh, billion digits, 20 zillion digits. It'll keep going and going and going. What we keep doing is discovering it, discovering it, discovering it. And so the philosopher Alvin Plantinga put this together to say, where is that number grounded in our reality? Why is it we keep discovering it and discovering it? Where is it coming from? Where is the ability to discover this coming from? Sir Isaac Newton did this with the laws of physics. He said, I can explain to you the laws of physics and how these work, but I can't explain to you why there are laws of physics. Is everybody tracking with me? Number one, abstract objects such as numbers and propositions, truths, are either independently existing realities or concepts in some mind. So when we talk about pi and this number that keeps running on and on and on, and people are discovering more and more about it, along with all the uh, discoveries of math and science, we have to ask ourselves, are these figments of our imagination, do they actually exist? Or are they just something that is grounded in a non-mind, a non-mind like us? 
So we get to point number two. Abstract objects, abstract objects are not independently existing realities. So we begin to understand that they don't exist by themselves. They're not a God. The number two is not like a God out there dwelling somewhere by itself on a throne called number two. And this is kind of what Plato believed, that, that actual numbers existed by themselves and were never changing. We don't believe that because that wouldn't make any sense. It's just not rational in our modern world. If somebody wanted to say the number two existed somewhere like that, I would like to talk to them and ask them, what's he doing right now or it doing? What is the number two doing? Just think about that. However, if abstract objects are concepts in some mind, like in our minds, then an omniscient, all-knowing, metaphysically necessary being exists. Because if my mind is discovering it, and I'm not playing make-believe, because the more we keep working this number out like pi, the more rational it becomes, the more we discover atoms and the things that are a part of atoms, you know, neutrons and all of these things, it's rational. And... Um, Actually, they, they said that they found a, a new thing that uh, could go faster than the speed of light. And uh, they did it first all by mathematical concepts, and then they finally tested it, and it came to be true. So how could math, if it was just an illusion in somebody's mind, prove something in the physical world that it took 10 years for us to be able to develop scientifically, but the mathematicians already found it? Therefore, an omniscient, metaphysically necessary being exists. The mind of God is the grounding for our laws of physics, the grounding for our mathematical concepts. And all we are doing is simply swimming through the sea of knowledge continually to discover new things. But it's there whether we discover it or not, and it's not the fictional belief of somebody's mind. Therefore, truth exists because God exists. Now go back to the illustration of the fool. If the fool is trying to talk to you rationally and they're giving reasons why they deny God, the very fact that they're using reasons and logic show that our God exists because if God did not exist, reasons and logic would not exist. It would be like an ant passing gas in the wind. It would mean nothing. Their words would be like hot air. But the very fact that we as rational beings ground our things in logic, and we say logical things all the time, like the law of non-contradiction. You said you would be here five minutes ago. Oh, I did? My fault? Yeah, because they contradicted themselves. We, we do that in everyday life. But why does that matter? Why aren't the laws of gravity ever changing? Why are they stable and steady and discoverable? Because God put them there for us. So to be a fool is not only to deny God's moral commands, but to deny God himself. Therefore, my friends, don't take on the creator of the universe. Humble yourself before his knowledge and receive his instruction, and he'll guide you not only into a good life with your family and your husband and wife relationally, he'll do it sociably, and he'll do it scientifically, medically, mathematically. Everything you'll find based in him is true because the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. So where do we find the basis of our knowledge in God himself? The fear of the Lord is admitting he's God, I'm not. And without him in the equation, the world doesn't even make sense. That's what it means. But we go back to the Adam and Eve example where they were going to get a little knowledge of good and evil and become gods themselves. How have we been doing after the fall? 
How have we been doing, friends? Now, modern man, he's pretty smart, right? He can put a band on the moon. He can put a phone inside your hand that, that is actually more complex than the computer uh, NASA used to get that person on the moon. So now we have technology that is so advanced. How are our children behaving? How is America when it comes to treating their unborn? You would think a society that's so smart, so scientific, we can spot life. We're trying to on Mars and in rocks, and yet we're killing our own babies to the tune of 3,500 a day. How have we become, as modern man, have we become wise or have we become fools? As our politicians have rejected God's wisdom, as our entertainers have pushed aside God, as our children have turned to idols to put before their God in the teaching of the Bible, how? have we done from the business world the corruption that follows how does a Bernie Madoff do what he does in his conscience he does what he does in his conscience because he doesn't fear the Lord why is this guy from North Korea treating his people like animals threatening us with nuclear bombs because he doesn't fear the Lord why does a corrupt politician take money and they use it for their own personal gain and care nothing about the poor of their community because they fear not the Lord why would a two-time pastor cheat on their wife have a homosexual affair steal money and keep preaching because they don't fear the Lord we have become a culture that has turned its back on God, and now we have the ramifications. We have the most technology and the most things of advancement we've ever had, but yet on the inside, by our behavior in our families and our government, from the White House to your house, we've become fools. We have despised our maker. I want you to hear some scriptures on the fear of the Lord. They're going to come quickly, so write them down in closing. Proverbs 8, 13 on the notes in, in, in closing here. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. God speaking, I hate pride, arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. So the descendants of Adam and Eve, how are you doing? Do you hate what God hates? Or do you love what he hates? I'm not against same-sex marriage. For any other reason, first and primarily, because God hates it. Now, I believe if I look at the reason why God hates it, I will see ramifications sociably for why he hates it. There's a reason why God hates lying. How many believe that? It's a good reason. We all tell lies. We can never accomplish anything. Hey, Joe, how many more uh, bricks we need to lay? Ten. <laughs> Put up ten bricks. We're missing 30. How many know the building's going to fall down? Right? What am I going to get paid to work here? $14 an hour? Wink, wink. You get a check with 30 cents on it. What are you going to do? We pay you a penny an hour here, girl. What do you think you're going to get? Well, you said 14. I was lying. How about this one? Do not commit adultery. How many think there's some wise things behind that? You know, guys like, oh, man, I'll hit that. I'll get with that. Until all of a sudden you have a wife and another man starts swooping that woman up then you don't like it anymore. You don't like the playboy lifestyle anymore. You know, I'll beat that person up until we all start beating each other up and then we demolish each other. There's a reason why you shouldn't murder, right? So there's reasons behind the commands, but by itself, the command proves the warning to us. Well, he's God, and he made Adam and Eve, and so if a man and man get together and a woman and woman get together. There's got to be a reason why he doesn't want that to happen. So if you're asking me to vote, I vote no. Right? He said life starts in the womb, that in the womb he has plans and purposes for people's life. 
people now consider this as a part of their toenail or their fingernail. They're just going to cut it off whenever they don't like it to their own fashion, you know, because I don't look good pregnant. I don't have time for a baby. And now we're just going to murder a 30, 40, 50 million babies. I, I say no to that. I call that what it is. It's murder. Why? Because I fear God. <laughs> Are you guys tracking with me? Drunkenness. Sex outside of marriage. Take any command. It has ramifications. Those who fear God don't need the ramifications. It, it, it's, it's like this telling my daughter, don't cross the street when a car's coming. Now I could describe to her, don't cross the street when a car's coming, because if you do, it will knock you 50 feet. You'll slide your face upon the pavement, ripping your flesh to shreds. You'll destroy your bones, because the car will probably run over you or another one. And then your muscles and tenues will be torn apart. Your body will be squashed underneath the weight of the car running over you, and you will become pancake on this thing. Now, if she fears her daddy, honors her daddy, all I have to say to my daughter is, don't cross the street when cars are coming, right? And so if we fear God when he gives us a command, we should be like, amen, that's a good command. Now, of course, we can study through that command, but we should be obedient to it. And how many are happy your God's not commanding you to fly planes into Twin Towers, amen? I'm tired of people calling us extremists. We're not extremists. People like Bill Maher think they woke up to a country that's wackos. We established the country he came into based on these principles. And the reason why it's swinging off its hinges is because we're acting more like him than we are like John Adams. Proverbs 9:10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. During the time of the Enlightenment, when these men understood that if they could get the knowledge of God, they could get the knowledge of everything, we exploded in the sciences. We, a Christian developed the scientific method. Still great scientists are Christians today, like Francis Collins, who led the, the, the gene, con, a gene code for the American Science Academy to discover the code of our uh, genes these men are Christians. Why? Because they understand everything is based in God. Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of, Lord, uh, fear of the Lord adds to life. But the, the wicked years are cut short. We see this as a general principle. Though tragedies can happen to all of us, but generally speaking, do we not see life go better when we keep God's commands? Proverbs 14, 26, he who fears the Lord has a secure fortress for his children. It will be a refuge. How are marriages working out without the fear of the Lord? How's it working out, friends? Come on, we don't live in a bubble. How's it looking for your neighbors right now? How, what marriage are they on? Second, third? Or have they just given up on it altogether? How many baby mamas does that guy have? Women, how many children have you had with different men? How's our family looking today without the fear of the Lord? Now, I'm not putting down those who are here today making it right, but I want this to be a warning. If we don't do it God's way, our children have no refuge. They have no place to be secure. But when God-fearing teaching is in the house with the love of God, our children are safe and secure. My dad won't cheat on my mom because he fears the Lord. My dad won't abuse me because he fears the Lord. Oh, we've told our children to be good for goodness sake, but it hasn't worked. Just be good for goodness sake. Well, forget that. I don't want to be good for goodness sake. I ain't expecting some toy under my Christmas tree. I'll shoot up a mall, shoot up a high school. Why have we seen the most devastating violent behavior of our entire generation, known as the planet Earth? This just massacring behavior is because goodness sake is not the motivation for a life to obey commands. It has to come from the fear of the Lord. Because I guarantee you, I guarantee you right now, the man who did the Newtown shooting,
is in hell right now. And if he understood what hell would be like, the moment he got there, he never would have did that. He will never get out of that place. You have to get this. He will be there for eternity. Not a thousand years, not 20,000 years. He will be there for time without end. Sometimes someone asked a, chi- a child, asked a, uh, you know, their dad, what is eternity like? And, 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 and the father said, uh, you see this beach? They were, you know, by, living by a beach. And the child said, yes. And, and said, imagine if a bird would take one grain of sand with its beak from this side of the coast, let's say they were in California, and fly it all the way to California and then drop that grain of sand on the west coast. And imagine this bird then taking all of the time to fly back, grab another grain of sand, and did this, took the time to do this until all the sand on the east coast went to the west coast, the time frame, just to help a child understand. That is not even a moment of eternity. That will have happened, and you will be there just for one moment. It never ends. Put your hand over a hot fire one day, friend. Get the fear of fire again if you don't have it, right? Put your hand over fire. Imagine a body that can never be consumed but can always feel pain. That is eternal hell. And the Bible says people will be there forever and ever, time without end, being destroyed for the decisions that they made. I guarantee you, the moment this man went into pitch blackness, consigned to torture and torment, he understood the shooter of Newtown. I messed up. It's over for me now. Could you imagine a place where God is not, and yet pain is? That is hell, my friends. Proverbs Proverbs 15, 16, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. The Bible teaches us, man, it's better to fear God, take care of your family, live in a two-bedroom apartment, and know you didn't have to lie to immigration. You didn't have to lie on your taxes. I said that, la migra. You didn't have to lie about any of that stuff. You could be who God called you to be instead of looking behind your back, wondering when they're coming. I'm sorry, I got too excited. I just try to make it relevant. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life and the one rests content untouched by trouble. When you're living right with God, you're not fearing the woman you're cheating with to get a hold of your wife. Young people, when you're living right with God, you're not fearing that your friends are going to find out you went to another gang, walked on another street. You have no fear of those things because you're living a pure and holy life. You can drive right by the police officer because you're keeping the speed limit. Come on. And you know that you're a law-abiding citizen both in God's kingdom and on this kingdom. How many used to be afraid of the police? Don't raise your hands. Just let me raise mine. I used to be afraid of police. Why were you afraid? Because you were a lawbreaker. That's why I was afraid. Proverbs 23, 17, don't let your heart, listen, this is a good one, don't let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Well, well, cousin, cousin Flacco, he ain't married and he gets all the girls. He gets to make it rain at the club. Make it rain, dollar bill. Oh, look, Sally's not married. Look, she gets to spend her money on whatever she wants. She don't have to mess with this. You know, we, we, we in our mind, we start to envy sinners. Uh, well, look at Donald Trump. He, he's so smart, and he can talk like that, and he can live like that. Wow, he don't look like he has a bad life. There is a deception in this world. Here is the deception. The penalty of sin doesn't always come immediately. 
And what happens to the oldest of us, to the youngest of us? Uh, pastor of First Baptist, Hammond, Indiana, 20,000 members, First Baptist Church, had an affair with a 16-year-old girl, took her across state lines. They put him before the judge. They only wanted 10 years, the district attorney. The judge was so putrefied by what the man had did. He said, they only want to give you 10. I'm giving you 12. You're going away, Jack. Jack Scott, boom, went away. Could happen to a preacher. Why? Because the preacher says, oh, man, that booty looking good. Oh, I got some good-looking teenagers in my church, little pastor. You would not think a man who had his Ph.D. of the First Baptist Church, hair slicked back, never doesn't even let women wear anything other than long skirts. You wouldn't think you would have an affair with a 16-year-old girl. But he did because sin is enticing and it's deceitful and it can capture the heart of anybody. And what happens when sin has closed its trap on you, whether you're the married man that just had an affair or the person that just got fired from your job because you think you could steal, or whether you're the young person that got caught by lying to your parents, sin will deceive you and make you feel it is all right. But then in the end, it is death. That's why parents never tell your children that sin is not pleasurable because they'll get a taste of it and they'll think you lied to them. If you tell them sex is not pleasurable, drinking's not pleasurable, drugs is not pleasurable, then the moment they taste it, they'll go, oh my gosh, mom lied to me because this is pleasurable. She must be talking about some other kind of sin because this sin feels good. No, I want everybody to listen to me. There are sins that you will commit that will feel good. You will want to do those sins. Your heart will envy after those sins. You will feel better when you do those sins. But in the end, it is death. It will destroy you. It will capture you and keep you longer than you ever wanted to be held and take you places you never wanted to go. But it tempts you with the things that entice you. And so this is saying, don't do that. What keeps me to love my wife versus perversion? The fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord says, don't do this. It will cost you your marriage. Don't do this. It will cost you your job. The fear of the Lord teaches you that. Can I hear an amen? Can you stand to your feet and bless him today because he loves us? Come on, man. Would you come, please? Woo! How many ready for the message? Say Amen. Oh, Jesus, help me. I'm going to close you out with the message. The message is the conclusion. Three ways to understand the fear of God. Three ways to understand the fear of God. Number one, God is your father. I don't want Lucas to be so terrified of me that he shakes when I come around. Some of you were abused by your parents and I've had them as my friends in the church. And sometimes I was hanging out with the young people, and I would come up to give them a hug like this, and they would just jump back because they were used to getting hit by their parent like that. And there were some guys that I would come and hug, and they would say, nobody's ever hugged me like that because they were hurt growing up. My mother wasn't physically abused, but she was verbally abused. And we used to sing a song in the church that would go, we have the best dad, we have the best dad. We would sing the song. And my mom, when we would sing it, she would cringe on the inside. And she told me this. And, and uh, I said, Mom, why don't you like that song? She said, because every time you call God the father dad, it makes me think of my dad. I don't like the term because my dad never told me he loved me. She said, it's hard for me to understand we have the best dad because every time you sing that, it makes me think of my dad who didn't love me. 
But for those of us who have had a great dad in life, we can encourage those here who have had a bad dad that, that there is a Father in heaven who when he goes like this, he wants to hug you. And he tells you he loves you. See, I grew up with a father like that. I never had to worry if he was going to abuse me or beat me. He loved me. And he would hug me. He was the first man I saw pray. He was the first man I saw serve in church. I saw his life exemplify those things. But you know what he told me? He said, Joe, listen to your mom when I'm not home. See, my mom was the soft one. And guess what I acted like when my dad wasn't around? I sinned against the one who loved me because it was easier. But my dad would come home and he would take off his belt. And he would take me to the other room and he would spank me in love. And I began to learn to fear my dad. And there was one time I was smarting off to my mom and my dad came around the room so fast, into the room so fast. He took off his jacket and he said, I'm tired of you talking to your mom like that and you're a man. He said, put him up. He said, put him up. I ran through the door. It was a miracle. I didn't open the door and walk. I, I went through the door because I understood God. I mean, dad as father was to be feared when I broke his commands. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. If you then know as being evil how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven knows how to give good gifts to you. Your Father only wants to give good gifts to you, but if you break His commands, He will paddle you. Sometimes when you feel that conviction, friends, during the week, when you do wrong, I feel it too. That is God disciplining us. We should be happy He disciplines us. Hebrews 12 says, don't get angry at the discipline of the Lord. Man, that's a good thing, amen? The second thing is to know God as your boss. How many know what the word Lord means? What does it mean? Boss, master. You know what the Bible says? You can't serve two masters. Now let me ask you something. Wherever job you work today, let me ask you. Some of you are the boss, the owner. Let me ask you. If I came to your job tomorrow and I said to you, you're going to tell me what to do, but it's going to be like white noise. I'm just going to be here and I'm going to do what I want to do. Right? So we got like a bus driver here. We got a teacher here. So imagine me just boom, 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 just driving around the bus. And I'm telling the guy this. Do you think he would give me the keys to the bus? Do you think of, as a school teacher, if I said, I'm just going, what are you going to teach today? I'm going to teach whatever I watched on TV last night. We wouldn't, we wouldn't even dream about doing this. We would say this is nonsensical. But how many Christians look back to God and go, God, I got this day all by myself. I'm going to do it on my own. God, I don't want to date like the way you want me to date. I got this one on my own. God, I'm not going to go to church, spend my money, do any of these things your way. I'm going to do it my way. You know what Romans chapter 6 verse 16 says? It says you used to be a slave to wickedness. Why not be now a slave to righteousness? You used to do whatever the devil wanted you to do, whatever sin wanted you to do, and you would serve that boss. You were like, Jimmy, come quickly. Like, all oh, the club's open. Woo, I'm coming. Oh, that thing's on sale. I'm spending money. Oh, I can get with that person. I'm getting with that person. And we were like the best slave to the slave master sin. But now righteousness 
God, our loving Father, calls us to obey. We're like, do we have to? Oh, my goodness, do I have to delete BigHooters.com? Come on, God. Come on. Can I still get Victoria's Secret Catalog? Come on. Come on, God. Do I have to obey my parents? Come on. Come on, God. Do I have to pay the tithe? We used to buy beer, alcohol, drugs. Like it was, woo, making it right. Oh, God, do I have to support missions? Some of us act as terrible servants to our master and yet he's a good master think of God as your father think of God as your boss and lastly think of God as your king God the king 2 Thessalonians 1 through 6 is going to come and judge you and this is what it literally says God is just he will punish those who don't know the gospel of our God and Lord Jesus Christ, they will be punished. Can everybody say punished? Thank you with everlasting destruction. How long does the destruction last? Ever lasting destruction. Let's just close our eyes today and think about what we've learned. Come on, God is our Father, our boss, and our King. He will judge us one day. Altar workers, would you come as we're praying right now privately? I want to give you a few moments to meditate on the Lord. I just feel so convicted right now that some of us have not been living with the knowledge and the fear of the Lord as we ought to. Oh, this just that last scripture convicted my heart, man. Come on, would you search yours right now? Look at your heart. Do you know God's going to judge you? you got to live with that fear of the Lord every day. That's how you'll hate sin, friends. Every head bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you want to ask Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior, I want you just right where you are to raise up your hands and say, Jesus, I confess my sins and I confess you as Lord. So if you're here and you want to get born again, just raise your hands now, please. And then now those who are already born again, I plead with you, those who call themselves Christians, if you haven't been obeying God's commands, would you just raise up your hands now as well and confess your faults before the Lord because He is merciful, ever-loving and kind and gracious. He will forgive you, but you must repent. Come on, a few moments here for those to get right with God. Raise up your hands. Those that either need to accept Him or repent. And then now those who say, yes, I'm living right with God. Yes, I, I've repented when I've sinned. But you want an extra understanding of the fear of God. You want God to increase your understanding when you raise your hands and say, Lord, help me to see you as my boss, as my father, as my king. As Isaiah saw you in chapter 6, high and lifted up. Lord, all of us should have our hands raised. Whether we're the newcomer, the backslider, or your child, we're saying, give us the fear of the Lord. Teach us your ways. Teach us your ways, O holy God. Now, would you pray for your family? Come on, would you pray that you would teach your children in the fear and the admonition of God? Children, obey your parents. Obey your parents because this is right in the Lord. Come on, we teach our children the things of God. As for me and my house, 
We will serve the Lord. Satan, get your hands off of our family. Come on, now pray for your job. From your boss to the janitor, custodian, God, would you raise up God-fearers, those who fear your name in our, in our company. Take away corruption. Take away corruption. Bless our business. Bless our economy, what we do. Take away greed. Take away corruption. And now would you pray for our country and its leadership. Oh, God. Our president swore on the Bible that he would be a man of integrity. Lord, convict his heart for the unborn. Convict his heart for this social agenda of homosexuality. Let him fear you, Lord. Convict his heart for unrighteous wars, greed in corporations. Let the Senate, let the Congress, let the governors, let the mayors serve you, God, with fear and trembling, for they will stand accountable one day for what they did on this earth. And now let us pray for our churches all across this land. May pastors rise up who fear the Lord. God, we pray for every church in this city. We pray for every church, God. Armitage Baptist, New Life Covenant, Hallelujah, Faith World in City Light, Chicago Tabernacle, Belmont, Assembly of God Evangel. Father, these churches, may they fear you. May their people live for you. May your kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven, God. You it, Lord. The hope of the nations is in your people's hands. In closing, would you look up at me, please? Thank you for letting me go over today, but you know my heart is passionate for you and for all people to fear his name. Would you hold the hand of the person next to you, but as you do, would you just look here? I pray that before you go, this would be a part of your life, not just a service, but a part of your life, that you fear God, you fear his name, because when you fear him and you understand his character, you can understand his love for it's out of his holiness that his love comes Father I thank you for this congregation as we get ready to dismiss may we be God fearers in this land in Jesus name can you say amen would you bless him today God bless you as you bless him fear the Lord my friends if you need prayer we're up here we'll pray for you now for anything otherwise you're dismissed God bless you worship team would you lead us to his presence Woo. Come on up if you need prayer now. Yes, the strong within the power of the day. Yes, Lord. He's constant in the trial and the change. Yes, God. Yes, one thing. One thing remains, Jesus. Our life is for you. You love Come on, worship if you're hanging out or receive prayer, friends. Don't hesitate. We love you. God has a plan for you. Never runs up, never runs out on me. Oh, because on and on. His mercy is here today. Because on and on and on and on it goes. 
your presence here God and those that are hanging out with you Lord would you do new things in their life and those of us who are hungry for you may we always God live for you we welcome your conviction we welcome your midnight stirring and drawing in our heart when things aren't right or when we need to pray for others Lord intercession we welcome you God because in those intimate times Lord you're calling us deeper you love us so much. Oh, yes, God. I just feel Jesus. Oh, take us closer. Take us deeper. 